Amen. So today we are going to talk about grace. What a beautiful word. Um, I want to open with the scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. That's a lot of everys, everybody. I want you to think of the first word that comes to your mind when you hear grace. I think of giving someone a break. You know, let's give them grace. That's kind of how I would use it. Oh, they didn't meet that deadline. Okay, get, let's give them a little grace. They were having a hard time. Let's give them some grace. They're having a rough day, right? We could even use the word grace in place of the word patience. God, give me the grace to keep my mouth shut, right? We've all prayed that one. But what is the biblical definition of grace? It's hard to define the word grace because grace is used many different ways in many different locations in the word of God. So we can't really put one, one definition on it. However, what we're all most familiar with is just the very simple definition, the undeserved gift of God. We hear that grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. This is true. This is so true. This is a great definition of grace. But if we're not careful, we can limit grace to be a very passive word. We all associate grace with salvation, right? Amazing Grace is a beautiful song that we sing all the time. We sing it at funerals. We sing it um, when we're just calling for salvation. There's nothing like that first taste of grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved. It is the gift of God. Truly, salvation comes through grace. And that is a gift to us. And when Jesus just scoops you up in his arms for the first time and you realize you're forgiven, for real, like your sins are wiped away, grace can just sweep you away in that experience. And it was meant to. Grace was intended to sweep you off your feet and show you how much God loves you. But that salvation experience was not meant to be the entirety of your interaction with grace. That is just the beginning. God wants us to learn how to walk and live in his grace every single day. I want to share a scripture with you that I love. And this is a version that you may not be familiar with, but you're going to get familiar with it today. You're going to love it. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Are you tired? Y yes. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Anybody tired? Are you tired? Worn out. Mm, I hear, mm-hmm. Burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. Boy, we hear that word recover a lot, don't we? I got one answer for you. I'll show you how to take a real rest. 
Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. This is Jesus. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. He's not going to put something on you that doesn't fit you. It's going to be for you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace. I can't help but think of rhythms found in music, particularly in dancing, if we're talking about rhythm, right? I think it's safe to say we've all witnessed those who do not know rhythm. That's the best part of a wedding, right? It's like, sit down, get your cake, just enjoy the scenery. It's hysterical to watch people. I think of um, our girl from Seinfeld. So think of uh, Elaine, remember? This is truly me, because I'm like this. Like, I don't know how to dance, so I just have to like do things that my kids are like, don't, please, please go away. Um, but I think we've all seen this. We've witnessed people who just can't dance. They could spend hours trying to learn a particular dance, but no matter how well they memorize the steps, it's just clear they're not connecting to the music. They are robotic, they're clumsy, especially if you're doing the robot, then you're, <laughs> you're really robotic. Uh, they're trying to focus on remembering all the right moves and it actually distracts them from enjoying the moment. Then there are those people whose form and connection to the rhythm seem to make it look like they're dancing on air, right? Do we have Gene Kelly, beautiful. The space around them seems magical. They just display a beauty and an elegance. I have a few favorite dancers of my own I'm going to put up here for you. You may recognize them. Here we go. Take us back to 1996, my wedding day. Best day ever. Can I get an amen from anyone who was there? Yes, that's what I thought. Best day ever, and um, we had dancing which is unusual because I don't know how to dance. <laughs> but these three do. And my mother-in-law loves to dance, and she's a beautiful dancer. Les Horton, I remember. Now, we didn't do your crazy, like, not-so-dancing of the day. My music was all 50s music, you know. So I remember with Les Horton doing the stroll, and we just came down through there, and I felt like I could dance. I was like, I'm dancing. You know, because Les is like the man, and I'm just like, oh, walking beside him, dancing. And then my grandpa came over, and we did a dance. And here's the thing. When someone's dancing because they love it and they're in touch with the music, it's not only beautiful, but it's inspirational. I can't dance, but my grandpa can. And when he took the lead, he made it look like I could dance. He just directed me. He danced with me. He had fun, and I don't remember what happened. Like, I don't know. But I know I felt like I looked good because he made me look good. If you're dancing with the right partner, 
if you're dancing to the music, if you're dancing to the rhythm of his grace, it's going to be beautiful, right? But you got to let him lead. Because if I would have led my grandpa, he would have fallen and not been able to get up. (laughs) But he didn't. He danced with me. And he made a moment with me that I can't do on my own. And it was beautiful. This kind of dancing reminds me of the atmosphere in Matthew where he said, lay down your burden because what I have for you is a way to walk free and light. If I had to use a few words to describe the average Christian today, it would not be free and light. I would say it would be more of the opposite words that were used in Matthew, worn out, tired, burned out. Why? Because we're not moving to the rhythm of grace. We're trying very hard to remember the right moves, to keep all the right steps that we were taught, but we've lost touch with the grace that made that happen. We're working really hard really hard to be enough. We want to be enough as a parent, and we're not, right? We want to be enough as a spouse. We want to be enough in our career and our jobs, and we want to be enough as a Christian. It seems the crushing demands of our current culture and maybe more our own expectations for ourselves have caused us to be extremely stressed out. We're stretched thin. We're an anxious group of people. We're battling worry, guilt, fear, fatigue, because we're desperate to make sure we're enough. We have to be enough for those who love us. We have to be enough for those who are depending on us. And we feel like we have to be enough for God to accept us. I have some very shocking news for you today. So you need to get ready for this to sink in. Here's the news. You're not enough. You're never going to be enough. No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, you will never be the perfect parent, you will never be the perfect spouse, and you will never be good enough to earn God's love and approval. Never. That's it. Thank you. No, (laughs) I'm sorry. I have a really weird sense of humor. (laughs) Why? Because being enough was never your job. This is the job of grace. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less than he loves you right now. That will never change. What does God's word say about this grace? Can I just share a few things with you about grace besides by grace you are saved? Can I share some secrets of grace with you from the word? Here's the first thing we already said. Grace is a gift. You do not have to pay for this gift. Someone already paid for it. It would be kind of awkward to receive a gift and then someone say, that costs $50, so I'll need the $50 for your gift, right? But we act like that. We're going to pay for this gift that Christ already paid for with a very heavy price. 
It's not something you can work for. You can't earn it. It's something that's given no matter whether you deserve it or not. And I think about those children's birthday parties. Oh my gosh, Danielle, I think it was you that posted like a month or two ago what a disaster, like the birthday party was you were having because your son was tired the whole day. Right? Can I get a hand from every mom that threw a one or two-year-old party that was a complete disaster? Right, amen. Because you're doing the perfect party for everyone else. Like the one-year-old does not care. They don't. They're smashing their hand and cake, and you're like, the carpet, the, you know, and you're trying to make it perfect. Your child ends up with no nap. They're a complete monster the whole time. Here's the question. Even after your child has made this party a complete disaster, no matter what age they are, by not thanking people for the gifts, by saying, I already have that, everything they do that embarrasses you, do you give them their birthday gift. I have never been to a party where the parents said, let's wrap this up. They aren't behaving. Nobody's getting gifts today, ever. And probably we should have canceled a few by the way our children were acting. Think about God. He's not looking to see how well you have behaved to see whether you deserve his gift of grace or not. It's a gift. Number two, God's grace transcends our mess. Thank God, right? I am a hot mess a lot of times. At least I'm a hot mess. That's what we say. <laughs> Romans 11, thanks, Stace. Romans 11, 6 says, grace has no limits or conditions or it wouldn't be grace. If grace had conditions, it ceases to be grace. We can't understand that because we have conditions, right? Even when we're trying to help someone, it's like, you know what, I tried. You get this many and I'm done. Because we don't operate in that godly grace all the time. Think about Sarah. She was 90 years old when God promised Abraham that she would bear a son. Yeah, she's looking a little rough for childbearing. Do you know what Sarah did when she heard God speaking to Abraham, saying that she was going to bear a child? She laughed. It's not really something you want to do when God's talking. <laughs> then the Lord says, why is Sarah laughing? Then does anyone know what she did? She lied. I mean, are you? Okay. She laughs at God's word, then she lies about it as if God doesn't know. If that isn't enough, she does the unthinkable and she hands her handmaiden to Abraham and says, here, make me a child. Because God said I'm going to have, so now she believes him, but she believes she's supposed to make it happen in some wackadoodle way with some other woman, and she makes a huge mess of a situation. She could have received the promise of God by simply trusting God and waiting on him, and she would not have had to endure the mess because this mess created a ripple effect that still exists today, and that's another Bible study. But the two sons of Abraham would be at war forever. 
And so she lies, she laughs at God, she doubts God, she disobeys God, but guess what? Her mess could not stop God's grace from flowing to her. He kept his promise. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He stays true to his covenant, and he made a covenant with Abraham, and he showed himself strong. In spite of her patience and her fearful grabbing, he came through. We're good at laughing at Sarah, judging her. I would never do that. But how often do we panic and try to do God's job for him by coming up with solutions and making a huge mess? I'm so glad that grace is not canceled because of our mess, right? Number three, grace equals power. You know how I said we have a tendency to make grace a very passive word. It's like, oh, God's grace, so sweet. And it is, it's beautiful and it's sweet, but it is also power. The Bible says in Philippians, for it is God who's working in you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Look at that. He gives you, first of all, the desire to please him and then the power to carry it out and to do what's right. I call the desire to please him your want to. Grace can change your want to. Gosh, how many times do we need that, right? We need him to change our want to. I think about as parents, we know what this is like to desperately want to change a child's want to um, when they're being ridiculous. I have a few examples here. These are some memes, if you know, you know, Bob says. This first one is, I wouldn't let her eat Lysol wipes for dinner. This is how she feels about that. The second one, he wasn't allowed to electrocute himself. <laughs> Don't you hate it when they won't let you electrocute yourself? It's horrible. Third one, I told him he had to stop biting the cat. This fourth one is totally me. I said good morning. <laughs> Liam loves when I come in, wakey, wakey, eggs a picky. He's like, shut up. And finally, I wouldn't let him finish eating dirt. Sometimes we have the dumbest want-tos. These are ridiculous, but I wonder how often our Heavenly Father is looking at us as we're pitching a fit to get something ridiculous, pitching a fit for an experience we want to hang on to, a habit we want to keep, something we want him to give us. I'm so glad he is not like us. I'm so glad he's patient and he's long-suffering and he wants to help you. He wants to change your want to. As a Christian, we don't always feel like doing what we know we need to do. And I think many times on a grander scale, we may doubt we have the ability to become the person God wants us to be. 
We walk in condemnation. We walk with an inferiority complex as God's child. Unable to walk in that's found peace. Just a few weeks ago, Bob spoke on the story of the prodigal son that's found in Luke. There was a young man who asked his father for an inheritance, and he leaves his father's house, and he leaves this wild, uh, this, he goes and lives a wild, reckless life. And he squanders all the money that was his present and his future. And when the money runs out, the son finds himself in a famine. He has nowhere to live. He's in a life and death situation with no food. And he takes a job feeding pigs and finds himself so desperate, he begins begging for some of the food from the trough where the pigs were eating. He thought he wanted to experience the world away from the father, right? The father doesn't know. The father's keeping things from me. The father doesn't want me to have fun. The father doesn't want me to experience life. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. He's so out of touch. He's so old. He finds he wants a life away from the father. And for a while, he enjoys it. But grace has a way of changing your want to. I want you to know that no matter how far away you are, no matter how far away your children are, maybe your heart is breaking and you're scared because you know that that want to is just not there. I want you to know grace is strong enough to change the want to because the son finally comes to his senses he realizes what a mess he's gotten himself into, and he comes back to the father. Now, his plan wasn't to come back and expect things to be as normal. He did not even consider coming back home as a son. What his plan was, was to come home and beg the father to come into his home as another hired servant. But he didn't even have time to plead his case or to explain this plan to the father. Because the Bible says, when the father sees him afar off, that his heart is filled with compassion. And before the son can ever get to the house to share, the father starts running to him. And the father throws his arms around him and he kisses him. He calls for his servants. He gives him his robe. He gives him his, his signature ring, sandals for his feet, and he kills the best calf they have, and he has a feast in honor of his son. The truth is that the son deserved anything but this special treatment. He took advantage of his father's grace and generosity. He'd taken what the father had given him and made a complete mess of his life. He came home filthy, malnourished, and full of shame. But grace is greater than sin. Grace runs to our rescue. It runs to us when we repent. And it transcends our mess. 
You may have made a mess of things and esteemed yourself unworthy. You may feel like it's too late. And possibly, you may consider coming home and begging like a hired servant, but you would never come home as a child. I want to remind you that the father paid way too high a price for you to come as some kind of servant. Jesus died so that when you decide to come home, whether it is the first time or the 21st time, you would not come as a servant, but you would come with honor. You would come as a legitimate son and daughter of God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of our Father. Nothing. Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only thing that can separate you from God is you. That's it. The enemy can't separate you. Your past can't separate you. Other people can't separate you. Nothing that has happened to you can separate you from the love of God. It's only you. Will you come believing you are a child who deserves his grace? Or will you come begging like some kind of hired servant that you're unworthy? He wants you to come as a child. This final point, number four, is God's grace works best in our weakness. What is it that you lack? What is it that is impossible for you to do on your own? Completely out of your control. Do you lack wisdom? Do you lack understanding? Do you lack energy, forgiveness, creativity, a sound mind? Do you lack finances that you need? Do you lack joy, self-control, peace? Here's what 2 Corinthians says. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In our scripture at the beginning, God promised everything you need in every way to excel in every work. That means anything that you need. We don't have to limit him. If we need something, no matter how simple it is, we can ask him. In 1 Kings 17, there's a drought and God tells Elijah the prophet, go find a widow. I'm going to have a widow there to provide for you. And when he finds the widow, he asks her for a drink. And she goes to find a drink, which had to be quite a task because it's a drought. But as she's walking away, he says, and bring me some bread. And she turns and she's just honest and vulnerable with him. She says, you know what? I don't have it. I have a little bit of oil. And my plan is to take that little bit of oil, bake a little loaf of bread for me and my son, and then we're going to die. That's all she had. 
This is a woman who's done everything she can to care for her child. She's even gone to be obedient to a prophet of God by looking for him water when she's dying. But it appears God has still allowed her to have a lack, right? There is no provision yet. There's no solution. She's a widow. She's the lowest in society. She's going to be the last to get food and water. But it's in the most desperate times and situations that God does his greatest work. God did not abandon her. It was a divine setup for him to do the miraculous. And it was her responsibility to offer the very little she had. She had to offer the little, no matter how insignificant it may seem. Once she was willing to give it all up in obedience, he began to provide exactly what was needed. What is your impossible situation? There is a little fill-in-the-blank that I, I've used for years since I did the study with Beth Moore, and I've used it here before. I'm putting it up again. If blank, then what? When we did the study, she filled in, put the worst thing you could think of under the if. The then is God. If, then God. Your if is not the result of God being silent and absent from your situation. Your if is a setup for the then. He wants to blow your mind. He wants to show you, if you get out of the picture, Sarah, if you come back home, prodigal, if you believe me, widow, and don't hold on to the little bit of strength you have left. Don't hold on to the little bit of time you have left. Don't hoard it. Don't get scared. But offer it to me. When you're completely out of solutions and out of control, he'll show himself strong. He wants to build trust with you. He wants to teach you dependence upon him, upon grace. But we have to be willing to do our part. We have to give up that little. God continued to provide for the widow until the drought was over. But you know what? He did not give her a year's supply of oil. It said that daily she returned and found more oil. So even after God performed the first miracle, every day she had to step back up and open that jar and say, are you here again today? Are you going to do it again today? Because we like the big miracle where we come and there are 10 jugs, which God also did in a different story and filled many jugs of oil. But in this situation, he wanted her to depend on him every single day for what she needed. The first miracle taught her that she could believe what God had promised. Grace is gonna give you the ability to believe that what God has promised he will do, even when it seems impossible. So I wanna remind you, and maybe you can remind your heart, grace works best in weakness. Because I know there are many of us that feel like we're weak and we don't have the answer and we don't. 
We don't, we've got to lean on his grace. So in closing, I just want to remind you, grace is a gift that God lavishly, the Bible says he lavishly in abundance pours it over us. Grace transcends your mess. It's big enough. It's big enough. Bigger than your mess. Grace is power. Power to live right. Power to do what he's asking you to do. And grace, and I thank you for being here today, for listening to the word. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for this awesome family of God. I love them. I cherish every moment with them and just sharing your word is a privilege. God, may your grace overwhelm us this week. May we just take this and and chew on it and apply it to our situations, to our perspective. God, to uh, maybe sharing with others that may need to hear this word. God, we thank you and we are believing you to keep us in your hands this week to meet every need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.